Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey guys, welcome to episode 5 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and every week I'll bring you a new interview with an agency owner who shares actionable advice to make your own agency more successful. Today, I'm lucky to have the chance to talk to Adam Franklin. Adam has run Blue Wire Media with his business partner, Toby Jenkins, for nearly 11 years. They started as a web design agency, even though neither of them are web designers, and they didn't have a website. Since then, they've evolved into a consulting agency and now are in the training and education market where they help digital agencies and consultants grow their business. If you're curious to hear how Adam is able to charge $5,000 to $20,000 for a road mapping session or how digital agencies are using his products to help sell more clients, then you will want to keep listening. So without further ado, here's Adam. So Adam, thanks for joining us. Uh, I really am glad to get a chance to talk with you today. It's a pleasure, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So why don't we start by just um, kind of a cliche question. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So like from a from a I'm a one man Aussie, as as many listeners would be able to tell from my uh, unusual accent. <laughs> but I'm um, I'm based down in Sydney, Australia, and I've got a business called Blue Wire Media which my business partner and friend, Toby Jenkins, we started it nearly 11 years ago. And that's been our uh, project or our business for the last decade. More re- we started as a web design company. We evolved into a consulting company slash agency. And now we're very much in the training and education business specifically focused on teaching web marketing and helping digital marketing consultants and agencies. So one other, a couple of other things, we wrote a book called Web Marketing That Works where we share the story of what we've experimented with and what's worked for us. So we've put all the good bits in the book plus a couple of the things that went wrong for us. And we've also got 33 marketing templates which have been very popular over the years and we share those for free off our website. Nice. And so what was your background that, that got you interested in that? What made you say one day, like, all right, I'm going to start a web design agency? Well, firstly, we didn't have any web design skills. Like, we were non-techies. We had no business skills. But what made us decide to do it is that we just wanted to run a business. At the start, we, were, we didn't really care what. We had four or five things we were looking at. And a web design company seemed like the smartest bet because the web wasn't going away anytime soon. We had a mate that could help us with some web design and we thought that most businesses really did need a website and if we could go knock on enough doors and call up enough people, we could find enough clients to kick the business off. And so is that what you guys did in the beginning? Were you knocking on doors or you pick up the phone? How did you get kind of those, those first few clients, especially when, it, when you weren't the designers yourselves? Yeah, so it was pretty challenging selling websites when you don't have one yourself. <laughs> you don't have any ability to, to write code. <laughs> and you literally uh, have been in business for, for a couple of days. Well, actually, we've been in business for a week because when Tobes and I first started the business, we thought, 
well, we're business owners now. We can do what we like. We're in this for the lifestyle. So we took a we took a, a ten day road trip down the east coast of Australia, <laughs> going surfing. So after that uh, first week of, of um, holiday that we that we gave ourselves, we then had to find some clients and some revenue and all those fun things that you need to run a business. Um, so yeah, we were literally pounding the pavement. It was summertime in Australia, so pretty hot. Knocking on doors, seeing if people needed websites. They all said no. So we thought, this isn't much fun. And we thought, how else can we do it? So we thought, okay, how about we do some cold calling? So we opened up the yellow pages, started calling people. They all said no. <laughs> so we thought, this isn't much fun either. So we thought, how can we be a bit smarter about this? And so the next step was we looked in the local magazine called the Brisbane News, and we noticed that there was a bunch of companies that would run ads, so they had enough money to spend on marketing, but they didn't have a web address listed on their advert. So we would call up the company just to double-check that they didn't have a website, and if they didn't, we would then propose that we come in and actually show them what a website might look like if they wanted us to come in and show them. Was that with like mock-ups or what, how much work would you guys put into kind of this first initial meeting with them? Yeah, in, in, those, in those early days, it was a mock-up because we didn't have anything else to show them. Right. <laughs> no website, no clients, no nothing. <laughs> we didn't even have a, yeah, an IT degree to show them that we were capable because um, we weren't ourselves. So, yeah, we showed them, we, we promised them a mock-up and if they agreed to the meeting and to see the mock-up, we then had a couple of mates who were designers who were also looking to start their freelance business. So we said, look, if we can drum up some of these meetings where they're keen to see a mock-up, would you be happy to supply a mock-up for free? And then if the client goes ahead with the project, you do the design and then we and we kick it off from there. So, yeah, we were both putting a bit of skin in the game and we were being generous by showing them what we could potentially do. And it was through that process um, that we got our clients in the early days but in fact, our very first client was a referral from a water polo coach to a mate of his at the pub, and he became our first client. And we kept showing mock-ups for the first few websites that we did, but gradually as we built up a bit of a portfolio and we got our own website, we gradually didn't need to do all that free work in right. to win the business. Right, once you have kind of a few things you can point at and say, hey, I, I did this, this is what we can do. You don't need to do as much free work just to get the get the job anymore, it seems like. Exactly. You mentioned it earlier. If I look at what Blue Wire Media does today, nothing you talk about. You don't really do web design anymore. You, you teach people digital marketing. You have different products to kind of educate and train. So what was the transition like from designing websites to where you're at today? Yeah, so we designed websites for, for a long time and we gradually added new services and product lines to that. So logical extensions were hosting and domain names and we did some graphic design for a while and we gradually moved into offering consulting services because what we discovered is that you know building a website, I mean, even though we weren't capable of doing it ourselves, technically was easy or it was a skill that could be done, but the strategic thinking side of what the website's meant to do and how it's meant to do it, you know, in terms of the design and the structure and the pathway you take visitors on, that was where a lot of the value was. And 
we realized that that consulting and that advice part of it was very valuable and very important. So we introduced a consulting um, service offering. And then from there, you know, we offered email marketing and social media management when that sort of burst onto the scenes in sort of 2007, 2008. And so it's been a gradual evolution, but we stopped doing websites probably, well, officially three or four years ago. And so it's been a transition into new stuff and out of stuff, out of old stuff. And at the end of the day, yeah, it's been yeah, four years since we built a website for someone. Because that's something I think I'll, I feel like a lot of agencies, I want to say fall into the trap of it, but a lot of agencies will stick with, they'll avoid the consulting part and they'll stick with like, all right, we build websites or we do web design or we're a Ruby on Rails shop or, or whatever. And they, they stick with those things that are almost commodities. What was it that kind of drove you to, not necessarily specialize, but to focus on the more value-added services? What made you wake up one day and say, hey, we're not able to, was it we were not able to charge enough? Or what made you think that you needed to change the way you guys are operating? Well, it was, it was, it was fun building websites. We learned a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a bit of a commodity, the actual building part. Of course, the smarts into how you do it, and particularly if you can run projects on time and on budget, that's an incredibly valuable um, thing to bring to the table. But for us, once we discovered consulting, it was it was a game changer because you know for a website, you if you're lucky, someone will pay you up front or a fifty percent prepayment. But then you've got this obligation of doing all the work. So you might have a month or two or six months fulfilling the the work, and it's hard. Things don't always go according to plan, but you as the business owner, as well as the agency owner, you've still got to pay your staff's wages, you've got rent and all the other expenses, but these projects can drag on and on and on. And then when we do consulting, we would say, well, here's the fee, we'll come in for a day and consult to you, and then we'd walk out and that money was ours. We didn't have any more work to do. Like. There was no overhang of an obligation of stuff we needed to fulfill. And that was quite liberating compared to the old world where you might collect, say, 10 grand for a, for a website, for argument's sake, but you've still got to spend the next three months actually earning that money. Was there a moment where you're just like, all right, I have enough expertise, I've done this enough, I, I know enough that my knowledge is worth uh, selling? Or, or is, is, if I sell this these skills to someone else's knowledge, they'll get an ROI. What was the process like for you to be comfortable doing that, to get that expertise? Well, it was really a matter of, well, we read tons and tons of books and we went to workshops and seminars so that we basically would read all the thought leaders and all the prominent people's work and absorb it and digest it and put our own spin on it. And so we were confident that what we were teaching and saying was world-class. And secondly we had been actually doing it ourselves for our own business and for our clients' businesses for long enough to know that if you actually take a strategic approach at the start, then this stuff is going to fall into place and work a lot better. So we would we wouldn't we didn't just do we didn't just go from like building websites only to then only doing consulting. What we did is we introduced this thinking consulting piece at the start, which we charge for on its own. And then we would say, if you want us to actually build this thing as well, then here's a proposal to actually build it. And so that second piece of work 
was an option for the client. They could go with us or they could go with someone else, but they could take all that stuff that we'd prepared for them and they could take it out to tender. They could do it in-house. They could do what they want with it because they paid for it and we'd been fairly compensated for all of that, all of that IP that we, that we shared with them that they bought. And so over time, you know, that was a standalone product offering and some people, in fact, most people did choose to do their website with us because they'd been through that process and had enjoyed it. But um, it was just that, that confidence in the consulting part of it was mainly just um, we'd seen the results, we knew it worked, and we had a, a way that we could explain that to customers that they appreciated that it was valuable. Because I know a lot of people, especially in agency land, are competitors they were doing proposals and strategies for free. And so it was, you know, it was a mental barrier for us to overcome that, you know, could we actually charge for this stuff everybody else is doing for free? And yes, in the end, we could. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar at all with Brennan Dunn. He does, a, he puts out a lot of material for uh, freelancers, but one of the big things he advocates is charging for road mapping sessions, which is basically what you're talking about right now. And, it has the same result that you just said is that you charge for this intensive road mapping session where you lay out basically exactly what you would do for this client. And at that point they can bring it to someone else. But a lot of times if they, at that point they're going to trust you. So they'll usually go with you. Um, and so you were doing that. It was working for you. Like you said, most of the time they'd still build their websites with you. What made you say, all right, we're not going to build the websites anymore. Cause I'm guessing were you and Toby actually building the websites yourself, or did you have a team that was helping you with that? Yeah, we've always had a team building them. Um, so we hired designers and developers and copywriters and project managers and the like. So we were never actually building it. We were doing. We were quite heavily involved in the sales process. Um, but yes, just going back to Brennan Dunn. Interesting because his name came up at lunch yesterday. <laughs> so very small world. Very um, you know he's come up twice in two days now. So that's uh, he's doubleyourfreelancing.com. Right. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's hilarious. But yes, we would do a blue. Uh, we wouldn't call it road mapping. We called it a blueprint. But but the same deal. So I think the question was why did we stop doing them? Right, because you have you have a team helping with that. So why not kind of expand that team and and have them bring in the extra income and, and you can still focus on the consulting side of it. Yes, we did. It was just difficult at the end of the day. Like it was a tough business model for us. Building websites, there's so many things that can go wrong. And we had developed really good processes. We built a really good team. We, we were even very selective with the types of clients we worked with. But even then, there was so many variables outside of your control that could derail the project. And the thing with the website project, yeah, I know people that can do them very, very well and they've been doing it for, for over 10 or 15 years and they're, they're awesome at it. And it's a, it can be very, very profitable work if you can be, if you can keep your pipeline full and if you can be delivering project after project that runs on time and obviously you're charging enough. So it's great in theory and for cleverer people than me. But even after eight or nine years with good clients, good stuff, good processes, all of that, charging charging a decent amount, you know, if you're working with, say, a corporate client, the marketing manager might be a real big advocate, they might have signed off, it might be all ready to go. But if they're, say, public companies or private companies, things might happen like there might be an acquisition or a takeover of that company. And then all of a sudden, the website project, that's put on the back burner. 
so it's delayed. And, you know, for example, we might have had, say, a project team with a month blocked out in their workflow to focus on a project, and then if there's an acquisition or something happening with our client and they go, actually, we've got bigger things on our plate now, people above us, like the CEO or the board, has put this aside, there's nothing we can do. But as agency owners, we still have to pay the rent, uh, wages, and everything else, and you've got to scramble then to get work in to fill that gap. So there's difficulties, for example, like that, that um, we hadn't found a way to overcome. So rather than us try and be experts, well, continue down that web design path, we thought, well, let's just partner with people who can nail it and do it well, and we'll focus on what brings us more energy and more joy and um, is more profitable for us, which was at that point in time the consulting. Right. And so, yeah, that that makes sense when you put it that way. You'll you'll leverage your time on the areas where you add the most value, where you're able to control it the most and kind of refer out the other things that you don't have as much control over. Exactly, exactly. And, and over the years, up until that point, it wasn't the first product line we discontinued. Like we discontinued hosting when we realized that we sometimes got our team and us sometimes got out of our depth on that. And we there were things outside of our control that could that could break and could leave us with egg on our face. We discontinued domain names. We discontinued email marketing software um, providing. Um, we just partnered with specialists in domain names and hosting and email and and um, and web design. So, yeah, we basically try things out. If they work, we stick with them. If we find there's better ways to approach it, then we take the, take the better path. Interesting. And so I kind of want to take a few steps back a little bit. And because um, one big thing that I know a lot of um, freelancers and even growing agencies have a trouble with is, is what you were talking about before, is that the standard kind of pitch, the standard way most agencies get business is by giving away a lot of their services or at least their knowledge for free. How did you get to a point where you were able to say, like, no, we're, we're not going to pitch for this business for if, if you want this information from us that you were going to have to charge you? Yeah, that was, a, that was a big process. Not a big process, but a big shift in our business. And there was a few different types of um, situations. The first is when you might get a request for proposal, and that's you know companies putting out a tender document or a um, request for proposal saying, can you please put forward your best approach for delivering this type of um, outcome. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't respond to, well, if it was a government type one and it was this big drawn out process, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't respond to those. We made a conscious choice. Look, we're not in the business of spending a week or, or multiple days working for free for these things that we've got a maybe one in five chance of winning. We hadn't had a, we'd done a couple. We hadn't won them and we thought, no, there's, there's plenty of fish in the sea. We don't need to be chasing these ones. But then your more typical situation was when a customer or a prospect would inquire through the website or call us up and say, I need a website, can you help? And it's not as if they were out shopping around or they had to go get three or four different proposals. So they were they were easier to work with because if it's a government um, or a big corporate uh, policy that they have to get three proposals and you have to spend all this time delivering something, then there's no way you can win it by saying, well, no, you've, we're not going to provide any of that, but in fact, you've got to right. pay us to get it. So <laughs> that, that just didn't work. But with, with the different types of clients that were asking for help, 
we would say, yeah, sure. We would have a questionnaire on our website called our Get Started Questionnaire, and we would ask a series of fairly basic questions. It would take them maybe five minutes, and they would answer a couple of key questions that were meaningful to us. And that was like the first step of actually demonstrating that it was a two-way street, that we needed stuff from them if they wanted stuff from us. And, you know, after that, it was the very first time I remember thinking, well, let's just give this a go. We've been doing these web strategies and website blueprints for free. Instead of taking, you know, half a day with three of us to sit down and work out what's best, that's unreasonable, we thought. So let's actually say, well, yes, we can do this, but it's going to be 500 bucks. And so we were nervous, like we were going, for. I haven't seen anyone else do this and we'll probably just get met with a big fat no. But anyway, we said, look, you know, if you're building a house, you don't just turn up with bricks and concrete and, and paint with no plan and expect it to be a reliably built, beautiful looking house. You need to have the plans and the architectural stuff and all these other things that go into it before you actually put the building blocks in place. And, and when, you also don't expect that for free either. And you don't expect it for free. <laughs> right. No, so there's two parts of it, isn't it? There's the fact that, one, you don't expect it for free, and, two, how would your house even have a hope of being built on time, on budget, and be good if you just turned up with no plan? And they go, oh, I get it. And you said, look, you're spending 10, 20, 50 grand, or even if it's five grand, it doesn't matter. You're building something, and we need to take the time to plan it. You need to pay for that because it's valuable, and if you pay for it up front, you're going to save money in the long term. And it certainly wasn't uncommon then and probably isn't uncommon now to hear horror stories of web design projects, typically where people have already sunk, say, five or ten or twenty grand into a project and had to abandon it, and then everybody walks away burnt, the, 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 the client and the web provider. And the reason, I mean, I'm going on another rant there, but the way we actually sold it was it was telling them that story about an analogy with the house and the plans and the fact you pay for it, you get a better result, and they go, oh, that makes sense. We'll sign off on 500 bucks, and we go, oh, amazing. And you want to know what happened after that? We had, um, so the first client paid their $500 for the strategy session and the blueprint, and what happened, because it was a paid piece of consulting work then, we were able to get the CEO in the room, we were able to get the marketing manager, we were able to get the IT person in the room, which was amazing because you wouldn't normally get that if you're just going in for an initial meeting to sell them a website. The, CEO, the, whole, the whole team isn't going to be, all the decision makers aren't going to come to that meeting. But if they're paying for something and it's a strategy session, then everybody wants to weigh in. And so you get all the decision makers in the room You've been paid enough money to make it worth your while. You can actually ask the right people the right questions and have everybody in the room at the same time so there's no Chinese whispers with you know, email back and forth and phone messages, he said this or all that sort of stuff. And so you walk away with an actual plan of attack which you've been paid for and then because the quality of the data and the input and the buy-in has been so great, then your project, from then on, our projects ran on time and on budget um, with the exception of times when you're like there was a public company takeover or whatever, but when you know when the, when the project did run with when we were in control, they ran on time and on budget, and so we were like, wow, that's been a huge huge change. Um, and so from then on, we just gradually started to value uh, 
input even more, so we would raise that price from 500. Sooner or later, it was about between five and sort of 20 grand to do a website. Sorry, five and yeah, five and 15 grand to do a website blueprint, and we would explain to the client it would be about five x, five times whatever that planning cost was that would cost to build their website. So they had some sort of ballpark range, but um, yeah, no, it was it was just like it was game changer. If you're just pitching a client and you don't know that much about it, you can't possibly give them a proposal that has that deep of an insight into their business because you don't, you haven't been able to ask the right questions, you haven't been able to talk to the right people. And so just structuring it that way gives you access to the people who can give the insights that actually let you provide the value. But on top of that, there's also the side of it where it's a smaller commitment for the client. They don't need to kind of off a few promises in the portfolio, commit to a five-figure project, a mid-five-figure project, for them it'll be a smaller commitment. They can see what you have to offer, and then when you have already demonstrated value, it's going to make it that more likely that they go with you for anything in the future. And even the way you do it now is just for more advice like this in the future. Is that accurate? That is very true. There's that whole piece that you just mentioned, yeah, it's being a risk, a much less risky proposition because they can try before they buy. If we're nice, they can keep working with us. If they, if it doesn't work out, you know, we always have money back guarantees anyway, but they could still either get their money back or just lose five figures and it's not like a, yeah, six, nine hundred figure project that goes down the drain. So yeah, all, for all of those reasons, it was, um, it, it's totally worth doing. It's a much smaller leap of faith than jumping right into the project. You said a lot of these clients, were, they were coming to you asking for help on the websites. Why, why were they coming to you? What did you guys do that attracted these prospects? Well, I guess we were marketing our business. We were doing a lot of content marketing, inbound marketing. And so rather than you know, knocking, on, uh, knocking on doors and pounding the pavement like in the early couple of weeks, we'd started to publish our blog, we published a bunch of marketing templates to the web and that gave us visibility, people were aware of who we were but more importantly we were able to deliver value to people for free at scale and we were able to communicate with many of those people over time through our blog and email list that they got to know, like and trust us and we were top of mind delivering value so for many people, we were a logical place, a logical company to ask for help with their website. Okay. And so I, I know content marketing for the past few years, at least, has been kind of the, the big buzzword. And it seems like everyone knows they should do it. No one really knows how to do it that well. And then a lot of people that try don't seem to get the results. And so what what do you think are the keys to kind of making sure this actually does deliver results to you from when you first started blogging where did you immediately have clients kind of pounding down your door or what was the process like no certainly not clients pounding down the door when we started our blog um, or our email but it was just, it's just like a, a momentum thing it's a big flywheel you start with an email newsletter and people get to expect you and know you in their inbox and you can publish a few articles to your blog and yes there might be a few things that 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 um that are winners, that I say, oh, I read that article, can you come and talk to me about this? So there'll be trigger points, and I guess the more and more stuff that you publish, the more of these hooks um, you've got out on the internet. And for us particularly, the major 
turning point was when we released our templates and we can talk we can talk more about that for sure but um, publishing those to the web made it made it really that was a turning point for our content marketing because people were downloading them people were liking them they were saying you know that that stuff makes sense can you come and talk to my executive team we need a new website but they don't get it and if they see this then they'll come on board so it was this educational piece and through education and through adding value, people get to trust you. And then you're seen as the authority. And if you take an approach of generosity and helpfulness and education, then over time that builds and builds and builds and it doesn't become a, a pitching issue and it doesn't become a price issue. It becomes, well, were the people that they want to work with or these are the people that have already helped us for all these months or years for free through their content who else would we use for our website? That, that's that, that's the sort of position that um, it sort of got us to. Yeah, and I think that's the ideal position that every agency at least wants to get to, is that they don't want to compete with all the other consultants on, say, planning out an email marketing campaign. They want their clients to come in and say, I want to work with you. And so then it's not a pitch, you're right. It's figuring out how to best sort out the fit. But there's a few steps, obviously, to getting there. And it, like you said, the template was the turning point for you. And I think that's a step that a lot of people miss with content marketing. They put out all this great content. And then somehow that's going to translate into more clients. And so how was it that the that template helped kind of fill in those those missing steps? What what about it do you think helped you? Well, look, it was kind of, we were missing, we were missing rungs on the ladder. And you can't get to the top of the ladder if you're missing the middle eight rungs, for example. And we, we had lots of these different rungs, but the main rung for us that was missing was this, was this planning template. And so that's where a lot of people go wrong. They do some blogging or they do a podcast or they do something else. And they go, I've tried it. It's pretty good content or even remarkable content but I'm not getting that traction. And the main reason why they're not is because they're missing a vital rung of the ladder. And for us, we had a blog, we had an email list, but we didn't have a very good way of growing our email list. It was sort of stagnating. It wasn't stagnating, but it was growing pretty slowly, like well under you know a few hundred subscribers a year, which, which isn't much. And when we published the template, firstly, it was a valuable piece of content, which is it needs to be. It needs to be valuable enough that people would be prepared to pay for it, as Jay Bear says. But what it did for us is that people could download it in exchange for their email list, so in exchange for their email address. So we call that a lead magnet these days. Um, but back then, we didn't really call it a lead magnet. It was just something we gave away, and they opted in on a landing page to access it. And what that did is it meant that our email list grew, which means there was more and more people we could communicate with and therefore more and more leads coming in. The volume of our content didn't increase. Like we didn't go from doing a, you know, a fortnightly newsletter to doing one every day. We didn't go from blogging you know, once a week to five times a day. The content we produced was the same, but because of this planning template or the lead magnet, there was more and more people coming into our ecosystem and therefore what we were already doing 
was amplified, which meant that there was more inquiries and more opportunities come our way. There's only so much content you can put out. And if you don't have that missing rung, if you don't have the missing missing step of, of the process, the results can only be so good. And so it seems like when you added that in, it gave you a way to accelerate the growth of your email list. But that also can kind of lead to the same problem. Like what was that you did with the email list that then translated to the clients? How did you set up campaigns, autoresponders? What was it that you did to go from blog to lead magnet to email list and then finally to client? Yeah, so, I mean, when, as we got more and more people on the list, we would always be featuring clients' websites that we had just completed and we would have calls to action on the newsletter. So we send out a regular Blue Wire news and we have done for the last decade. And so we would just mention projects and we would also have like very subtle calls to action like if you're interested in getting a website done, give us a hoy, fill out a get started application form those types of things, or if it was for speaking or consulting, we would say, you know, if you need a speaker at your event or you need to talk about web marketing, consulting, um, hit reply and and um, we can we can tell you more about it. And so just, just delivering value, staying top of mind and remembering to actually ask the question, which is, do you want help with this, is the main part. And people would reply when they were ready. And oftentimes people would say, I've been getting your stuff for five or six years and, you know, we haven't been ready yet, but I've changed jobs and my new boss is, you know, up for a new website and all these sorts of things happen um, just by regular communication and, and asking the question. No, I think that's something that most marketers even is miss is they, they think to set up a properly functioning funnel is just super complex. You need all these different steps. You need this, you need that. And obviously there's a lot of optimizations you can do in a, from reading some of the emails you've sent, it's clear that you guys have worked pretty hard at this. But to get it working decently, you just kind of need the basics. You need to provide value. You need to get a way to capture their email address. You need a way to keep their attention. And then you have to ask them if they need help. You you need to ask them if they could use your services. Is that kind of a, a good summary of it? Yeah, like that was as, as complicated as our funnel, which we wouldn't have even, we didn't even know what that meant back in those days. But our, our sales funnel was, was that. There was no multi-step email sequence going on. It was literally they got on our Blue Wire news list and we would, every email or every other email, ask them if they, if they needed help. And now it's a lot more um, sophisticated and effective and all those types of things. But it was as simple as that. Yeah. It's crazy hearing how far Adam has come from his humble beginnings of knocking on doors to sell websites. And after this quick break for a word from our sponsor, Adam's going to talk about all the resources he used to help him on that journey. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees, where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with their project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. 
So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to Hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, let's get back to Adam. Did you guys just figure that out all, all, all on your own? I know you said you've you read a lot of books. What what were the inspirations to help develop this? So back, well, well I guess when we started the business, and, and as I said, we had no knowledge about anything. We we knew we had to learn from people, books, blogs, conferences, whatever. So we were always very hungry to learn. And so the inspirational books back in the day was um, Permission Marketing by Seth Godin. There was The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Meeman Scott. There was Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. And there was Inbound Marketing by Brian um, Halligan and Damesh Shah. And so what we learned from those books was was mind-blowing. It really helped us on our journey and helped us, I guess, provide the, you know, understand what, what was happening on the web and how it was different to the old way of advertising. But it was very difficult to convey four books of content to a client who didn't really have the same level of interest as we did. And so part of what we did was we tried to distill all the ideas from those books into something that was digestible and meaningful to a prospect. And David Meeman Scott's book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, was so so informative to us that we managed, to, and also inbound marketing as well, those two particularly, but we distilled it down to this double-page template and we designed it so we could show clients and so show prospects and say, so you've heard of all these weird things like SEO and web pages and backlinks and look, here's how it all fits together. Here's how we document your web strategy. It's literally one printed out piece of paper, double-sided, and they go, okay, I get it. And anyway, so we shared that. We emailed David, who we had um, interviewed for our blog um, after we'd read his book, and it was cool because he wrote back and said, look, I'm working on something similar. Yours is great. How about we collaborate and co-brand this, this template? And so for us, we were like, whoa, that is so cool. It was validating what we'd done. Like we, we were just happy that he wrote back and said, yeah, that's, that's good. But so for him to actually like it so much, he was prepared to stick his name on it and then include it in his book and use it in his presentations all around the world. We were like, wow, we're onto something here. This is, this is awesome. And so, and so, yeah, that sort of kicked off our first template, but it was the intent behind it was to make it easy to digest and make sense to somebody who was a business owner or a marketing manager who didn't have time or didn't have the inclination to read, you know, dozens of uh, marketing books. And for any of the listeners, I'll link to the template in the show notes. But the way most kind of gurus talk about it, it sounds super complicated. It sounds like there's a thousand moving pieces. There's all this that you need to do. But with your template, you did basically what you said. You distilled it down in a pretty basic, easy to understand template in you're right. That's something that for the busy marketing professional, that's something they would pay for, but giving it to them free is enough to, they'll be more than willing to give you their email address, but they also, you also get their trust. You also, you also now become an authority in their eyes. They see you as someone they can look to for more advice like this. Yeah, that was certainly, that's certainly how it's unfolded. Yeah. At that time, when you, when you first, created that template, what what services were you offering in addition to 
was it consulting only or were you still designing websites or what was what did your agency your business look like at that time at that point we were probably doing the most of anything we were doing websites hosting domains email consulting okay. speaking running our own events training uh we had too much going on <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah we were doing and everything yeah so so you were getting better results with that but you were doing things kind of all over the board what caused you to take a step back and, and, and narrow down? We already touched on it a little bit, but if you look at if I look at your services and your products now, I can buy a product from you for nineteen dollars or for three hundred dollars, but all of those are still much cheaper than those um, blueprint strategy sessions that you talked about. So where was a shift to kind of not necessarily moving down market, but by offering a lower cost way to enter your funnel? There are a number of contributing factors. The first was we had the option, right? So when we released the templates, we had email subscribers from all over the world, whereas previously most of our email subscribers were people from Brisbane and Sydney in our local markets who we could, you know, service locally and everything else. But then we started to have 5,000, 10,000 people on our mailing list, and they were from every single country virtually in the world. And they couldn't just come and very easily do a website project with us if they were in America or England or Africa. And so we thought we've got this opportunity now to create stuff for people outside of our geographic location. And we thought, well, what, what could we do for them without them having to be in Brisbane or Sydney, without us having to go to them? And we thought, well, the first thing we could do is we could package up all the stuff that we teach our private clients and sell that as a package. So we took all of the workbooks and templates and um, meeting agendas that we would use to run, say, a full day of consulting with a client, and we would sell that. That was one of our early packages. It was called the DIY Web Marketing Toolkit. And so we packaged it up and sold it as a product online. And that meant people from all around the world could then access something from us that they couldn't previously access and it also meant that we had products that were in that lower price point of the market which meant we opened ourselves up to uh, more revenue streams from that and you know part of our realization was that we're selling these high-end websites but there's not that many people out of you know say 10,000 on our email list or 5,000 on our email list that can afford a 50 grand website and so it was kind of weird. We we're building up this massive, not massive, but we we're building up this decent sized audience. And all we sold was, say, a 50 grand project. And it was this disconnect. And so we realized that we need to start getting some lower price point items if we're going to have <laughs> any sort of, you know, luck creating stuff for, for these, all these new people entering our ecosystem. Right. And I mean, it would almost be a waste of the audience that you're building to not have something you could offer them. Like these are people that are saying, Hey, I like, I like what you're saying. I want to learn more from you. But if all you have is a 50 grand package, that's going to turn away the vast, vast majority of them. Absolutely. Yeah, it turned, yeah exactly. They, they, they were on our list, but they had nothing to buy. And, um, it was kind of cool when we could, when we could service that part of the market. And it's not like we stopped offering expensive stuff. There is still high-end consulting, and we don't advertise it as much. We don't do as much of it, and there's high-end um, training programs and speaking and all those types of things. Um, 
but yes, there's, there's something for you know seven dollar price point, a thirty dollar price point, um, hundred, three hundred dollar, thousand dollar. So there's there's all these price points now where people can you know just again have a low risk way of interacting with us and consuming our content and hopefully learning something that they can apply and then gradually being able to ascend into other products and services that we offer. And so when someone buys, say, the social media online course. And, and they work that successfully. Is there a significant portion of them that you then are able to get to do uh, a boot camp or something like that afterwards, or, or is that sort of the end of with it, with that? Look, yes. The short answer is yes. We're still building out our Ascension funnels better. So we do run events, although we haven't run one for 18 months at least, but we're planning one for the next six months or so. And we're also planning other products and courses as well. Because one of the, one of the main things we've realized since the books come out and we've sold these social media and web marketing courses is that we call most of our students and we call most of our, or we, we do call them all, but we actually, you know, if they don't pick up, we can't talk to them, but you know, we, we leave messages, but the, we speak with the people that buy our book through the website. And what we've discovered is that 95 or 90% of the people that buy our material, particularly the courses, are digital marketing consultants or agency owners who know how to do a tweet and they know how to do Facebook, but what they don't have is a framework and the processes and the templates to actually you know, uh, consult and to use it with their own clients. So they've got the knowledge, but not the, not the methodology and not the IP. So rather than reinvent the wheel, you know, it took us years and years and years to, to develop that IP. They can buy it for say eight hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, whatever the price is at the time, and um, they can take that and they can use it with their clients straight away. So they can be earning consulting revenue using our framework and IP and start get, getting money from it from their clients. Okay, so let's kind of dig into that a little bit. If I'm if I'm running a digital agency and I'm doing well, we're growing, we have a, a few employees, our pipeline's not necessarily bursting full, but we have work when we need it. Can you go a little deeper into how some of these blueprints, how some of these templates can help me? Sure. So very often there are opportunities with clients that there are very often people, you know, your clients will be asking you, like if you're a web company or a graphic designer or even a PR company, for example, then a lot of clients these days are saying, I've heard all this stuff about social media. Is that something that you offer? Can you teach me social media? Can you do social media for me? And oftentimes, people who, like a web designer, PR person, or graphic designer might say, oh, yep, okay, look, I know how to actually do social media, but I kind of don't know how to, how to you know, do a strategy, how to plan out a day. They literally know how to do a tweet off their phone or upload photos and that, but there's not that high level. They don't have a system for it. They don't have a system for it, exactly. And so there's this opportunity for people that are getting asked this question um, who want to be able to turn that into revenue instead of having to wing it or bluff their way through or sort of go, all right, well, I'll just put a proposal together and I'll do like 10 10 tweets a week for you. There's this system and a framework that with our IP, they can just pick up and run straight away. It's similar to what you do with the template, but on a bigger scale, you've basically kind of distilled what you've learned in offering a lot of these services over the years into something that an agency owner or consultant could pick up and 
kind of use as a shortcut to that process. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's what we're focusing our attention on now is, is building out that product offering and working with marketing consultants to find out how best we can create these um, offerings to be as valuable as they can. Um, yeah, so, well, yeah, exactly that. So the templates are kind of like, that's our gift. There, there's 33 marketing templates. They're free. Um, but stuff will look, and if people can use them commercially, they can, you know, use them with their clients and earn revenue. That's awesome. But then there's additional steps that we're creating now where hopefully we will be releasing a, um, white labeled version of those templates or a co-brandable version of those templates that people can pay for. And it's very easy to rebrand. Um, it's very, and then also that again, like our workbooks and proposal documents and templates of email scripts and phone scripts and everything else that, you know, that we used that people can just take and pick and choose the bits they like. Like they don't need to, they don't need to use it 100%. Everyone's got their own flavor and their, their own way of doing things, but they can then, yeah, shortcut that, that experience. Cause I mean, half, half the time, if you're a consultant, you don't like doing admin paperwork. Um, documentation stuff anyway or if you're a designer you like designing or if you you know so there's all this stuff that our team has put together over the years that has taken a whole lot of effort that no one really necessarily likes doing particularly if you're a marketing consultant you often like working with your clients and doing the fun stuff but we can provide that that process and that methodology right and there's also another thing too that i think a lot of the bigger agencies get but some of the smaller ones don't is that Having a process and having a framework that you can show your clients, that gives them a lot more trust in you. It shows that you've kind of, you've done this before, you know what you're doing, and that you're going to get a repeatable result. Um, they don't, clients don't really want to think that you're just kind of winging it. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> and so, but that's kind of, but in a lot of engagements, that's what happens is that you might, you have the knowledge, you know how to do it well, but you haven't thought about taking a step back and saying, like, all right, how can I repeat this process? What can I do to make sure the results that my clients are going to get are going to be consistent? In my understanding, it seems like you're almost like, if you think about like a school teacher, like they, they know the, they know the history, they know the lessons, but creating the lessons plans and creating the tests and creating everything, all the, the paperwork associated with it, the framework, that's something that teachers don't like, agency owners don't like. And it seems like that's kind of where you guys step in and and fill in that gap exactly exactly and it's interesting how it's unfolded because we've had a lot of sip just on our on our servers and our infrastructure and then when we stopped doing all this work we've we've sort of realized there's tons that we know and that we can share that we're not actually using ourselves because we're not an agency anymore but um you know it just made life so much easier getting Paid for your IP, getting paid on time, having projects work smoothly. But yeah, that's, that is now our objective is to entice people in with the templates, let them get value and slowly let them work their way through all of um, the other stuff we've got to offer. Yeah. Yeah. And so what does Blue Wire Media look like today kind of behind the scenes? Like, are you still doing any consulting projects? Or, or what, what are you, I know this is what you're focused on is the, the templates and the tools and the education, but are you still doing some of the consulting? Yeah, we do, we do consulting. Um, it's more of a people to sort of hit us up to do it. Um, so yeah, most of it is, yeah, the online courses and then there's consulting as well, which both my business partner Toby Jenkins and I do. And there's also the public speaking 
and being visible, you know, in conferences and everything like that, as well as, you know, doing our own, our own events. So our own in-person training. Um, so yeah, we're, I mean, we're a distributed remote team now. We, whereas previously for the first eight years, we had an office in Brisbane. If, even though our team could work remotely if they wanted to, we still had a physical office. And fortunately, I guess looking back, our landlord sold it a few years back and it kind of forced our hand to say, well, do we actually really need an office? Was at the same time that, you know, the remote, the book by the um, base camp founders, that was sort of getting traction. And we sort of thought, well, you know what? We, we checked with our team and we said, how about we test out not having an office for a while? We can always, you know, change that decision. But see, most of the time the office just had Ange, our office manager, in there on her own sometimes and she was bored and lonely and we were paying all this rent and everyone else was working from home doing their stuff. So we, we, we went remote and then everyone loved it. So we haven't looked back and we haven't had an office um, for, yeah, two or three years. How big is your team today? Well, it's still about the same number of people. So it's still about eight people that help us out, but it looks a lot different. So back in the day, we were a traditional agency, full-time employees, a bunch of contractors, you know, web developers and designers primarily, some um, team support people, some copywriters, Tobes and I kind of being more the, the front, the front people at the, on the, um, on the speaking and in the sales and business development. And uh, Toby was technically the CEO managing the team, and I was technically the marketing manager doing all the um, outward-facing stuff. But see, these days it's different because we've got same number of people, but they're not full-time employees; they're contractors. And so there's podcast editors, video editors, um, writers, contributors, um, designers, similar roles, but they're all working on like blue wire projects. We're not doing client work so much so instead of always being like the last <laughs> the last thing to get looked at you know when you're an agency sometimes it's like man i know my my web shop my website should be better but all of our resources are busy getting this project right. done for the a whole, client the, the cobbler's <laughs> children has no shoes exactly sort of thing. Yeah. exactly and I, even though i've had a blog since 2008 i remember thinking at the time man i've been wanting a blog for like the last 12 months i know the importance of it i know i need to get started but we didn't have the resources to allocate to it and it was frustrating for me. And very often as an agency you feel frustrated, well me as marketing manager anyway, would feel frustrated that we didn't have the resources to commit to blue wire projects. So now it's different in that we've got all the resources we need purely focused on blue wire projects. So that's, they're, they're the main differences in how we look. No office, distributed team, all on contracts and different people but the same number of people. Yeah, and after talking to so many different agency owners it seems like that's a very common setup is sometimes they they start with an office sometimes they don't but it seems like you'll have a core group of, of uh, stakeholders in the agency and then kind of a fluctuating support staff of contractors that everyone works remotely and you don't need them always on if the work's not there and then you can ramp up or ramp down as things come on and you're right. In the past few years, that I think a lot more agencies have seen the benefits of, of remote work. You, you want to get in the zone, especially when you're creative, whether you're writing or um, designing or developing or blogging or whatever. So everyone would have their earphones on and have the music or silence or whatever, but they'd be in the zone doing creative, productive work. So even within the office, 
you know, it was kind of this, this rule that if you had your headset on, it means don't interrupt me unless it's like super, super important, which nothing, nothing's ever that important. <laughs> and so, yeah, and it, would, yeah. and it would work through online collaboration tools like uh, Basecamp. And so you'd be working on a project, literally sitting in the same room, but communicating via this, you know, uh, online software. And so it did. Right, you're still chatting online. And still chatting still, online, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be instant messaging across the room. So it didn't. If you're in here or, or California or London, which which is where a lot of our staff did choose to work from at various points, or Mexico, you know, you could still be doing just as much work, even though it didn't matter where you're <laughs> sitting. <laughs> as you've been able to step back a bit from the client work and focus on Blue Wire, things have been kind of rapidly accelerating for you. So, what what does the future hold for Blue Wire Media? Look, my and mine and Toby's plans is to really just work out our product market fit. So work out exactly what the market wants and is prepared to pay for from us and really try and get that right first. Once we can find out the exact courses and training material that, that, that really gets momentum and traction, then we'll look to scale that up. Um, so that's the focus at the moment, really working hard with our existing readers, our existing subscribers and customers or students and um, and building uh, better, more valuable products and, and growing from there. Nice. And so what does success look like in your mind? When would you not necessarily take a step back and say, I've made it, but where we, what what do you see as like a long-term vision for, for your company? It's interesting because we're at the stage, because we've been in business 10 years, Tobes and I were recently flicking through the goals that we'd set 10 years ago or over 10 years ago when we started. And it's kind of like, they were very much lifestyle-based goals, like being able to live and work anywhere in the world, hang out with friends and family and do the sort of things that you wanted to do, whether it was meaningful work or taking a holiday or giving back or hanging out with you know newborn children. And when we reread those goals, we sort of thought, well, all right, so that's kind of that's the, that's the life we're living at the moment. So we're in a sort of phase of reassessing, you know, the next ten years, um, but it is not fully formulated in our mind yet. We're kind of just taking a bit of a breath and going, okay, let's enjoy this. This is where we set out to get to. And I really think the next stage would be a high-performance business where we're you know, impacting a lot more people but not necessarily like stressing ourselves out with, you know, sometimes agency work can be pretty stressful, especially in the early days when you've got too many balls juggling in the air. So, look, I would say if we can be impacting, you know, lots of marketing consultants and agency owners and having the IP that we've worked for sort of 10 years to create, if that gets traction and gets picked up and used by a lot of people, then I think that would be something that we'd be very proud of, something that we've created that is continuing to be used and be valuable to to other people and sort of take on a bit of a life of its own. Absolutely. Because it almost seems like in my mind that you've, like you just said, you you met what your first goals were. You're you're where you wanted to be, and now you're you're enjoying that, and then figuring out like, all right, what what's next? Yeah, yeah. All right, to kind of wrap things up a bit, if, if people want to find more about you, more about Blue Wire Media, where should they go? Sure. So the website they can go to is bluewiremedia.com.au, and on that page you can download our thirty three marketing templates and as I said I encourage people to do that make them your own use them with your clients and then just stay tuned for different um, products that we will release 
And if people want to email me, it's adam.franklin at bluewiremedia.com.au. And Twitter, Franklin underscore Adam is my Twitter handle. And, of course, the book. And, of course, my book on Amazon, <laughs> Web Marketing. <for> folks. <laughs> we can buy it off my website, whatever works. But, yeah, Web Marketing, that works is the name of the book. All right, I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes. So you gave us a ton to think about today, Adam. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Andy. It's always fun talking about the lessons you've learned over business. So thanks for asking such good questions. Absolutely. Thanks again. Cheers. I love Adam's story. You don't usually hear a success story that starts with somebody opening up a web design shop without a website or any design skills and taking the first week off to go surfing. But after talking with Adam, it's clear that he had the drive to make it work. Now, Adam's path isn't one that's right for everybody. Not every agency should transition away from services and start offering products. In fact, most probably shouldn't. But for every agency owner, no matter the path you want to take, there are at least three things you should still learn from Adam's story. First, by offering value to your audience and establishing yourself as an authority, you can change the client-consultant dynamic entirely. Instead of spending hours responding to yet another RFP, you can have clients coming to you and saying they want to work with you specifically. They don't want another WordPress expert, they want you. When you are the expert is being sought after, you're not pitching anymore. It is up to you if you want to work with that client. Second, make sure you aren't missing any rungs in your sales ladder. Creating great content is just the start. You need a way to take blog readers and bring them into your ecosystem. Lead magnets are a great way to do that. Then, once you get them on your email list, you need to keep their attention and remember to actually ask for the sale. This doesn't need to be overly complicated, but if you are missing a rung, you just won't get the results that you could. Three, Always think about how you can lower your client's risk. Having roadmap and your blueprint sessions at the start of an engagement gives your clients a way to see how you work and what the results will look like without a large commitment up front. Also, by following a clearly defined process for your consulting engagements by using templates, other documents, or a defined methodology helps convey that you're a professional, that you've done this before, and that you work in a repeatable way to get consistent results. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you went over to iTunes and shared what you got out of it in a review. I'm sure it was a bit rough around the edges, so if you have any feedback for me, please leave a comment here so I can improve. That's all for this week. Tune in next week for another interview to help you build and grow your agency. Talk to you then. Mm -hmm.